Well, good afternoon, Guam, and welcome to the after party. Of course, we do the after party uh, by popular demand twice a month now. Uh, once we, uh, at the end of the month, last Monday, we do it on uh, KUAM News, uh, where you would normally see the lovely Jason Solis with the extra uh, portion. We jump on there, and then uh, the second Monday of every month, we do it uh, for Facebook Live here. So our guests on uh, the after party, we have a former senator, Dr. Narissa Underwood. Happy day. Uh, from the Independence uh, Task Force, also uh, uh, professor of the University of Guam, uh, Dr. Michael Bavacqua. Have a day. Uh, Julius Cesar Santos, of course. Uh, and I'm Chris Barnett, and we'll just get right into it. Uh, with the natives are restless, it looks like uh, the military buildup. Uh, I mean, this is you know a process that's been uh, well over a decade in the making, and as we get closer and closer, uh, frustrations and the sense of urgency. Uh, it's really made for a lot of uh, headlines over the last, uh, I mean, I've got to say three to four weeks, and there's just been so many uh, developments, uh, things have been happening um, pretty fast, and we'll just start with, uh, you know, Rissa, your, your thoughts on um, maybe on some of these activists uh, coming to the forefront and uh, trying to hold the governor's feet to the fire. Well, actually, I was involved with the first go-around when, this was about 10 years ago, right. when uh, we thought that it was go going to happen, I think in 2010 or two, it, we started 2008 and we were collecting. So as part of that process, I thought that we gave our best shot in providing input and of course every, all the estimates were really uh, over the top, 35,000 people, they were asking me as superintendent how many schools are you going to need to be able to accommodate the dependents? Right. So my my impression was that um, after they came out with the impact statement, and it seemed a couple of years ago everything was set. Now there is there are more discoveries about actually where they are holding, they are excavating. Right. And so I am really with a position that we have to respect the land. And so while there had been studies that had been conducted in the past, those cannot be held true if they didn't do a good job right. in the first place. So, uh, yeah, the governor has to stand with the, with the, the people of Guam. She's not, though. She's said that she's not going to ask for a, a, an overall pause on construction at the firing range. And I think there's just so many mm -hmm. different issues going on here, uh, Miguel, that it's hard for uh, these activists and these community groups to kind of laser focus on any one issue because there's just so many things going on. There's there's the environmental concerns, there's the Sarianthes tree, uh, and then, you know, more recently there's concerns that were raised by the former SHPO who, you know, may or may not have lost her job over these things about the treatment of ancestral sites and the process that's laid out in the programmatic agreement. And I think that was kind of like, I don't want to say it's the straw that broke the camel's back, but uh, when people were getting pictures of these sites mm -hmm. and seeing how they were, um, you know, plowed through in this, and that's, you know, maybe an oversimplification. But the process in the programmatic agreement of when they are bulldozing along and they come across a site, they're supposed to stop work, notify the SHPO, submit a work mm -hmm. plan, and then um, do what's called data recovery, which is kind of pick up everything and store it uh, for display at a later date, a later location. So that's the process in the program, uh, programmatic agreement. So I guess now there are two schools of thought in, you know, we have to follow the programmatic agreement and those who say, you know, we didn't have any say in it, throw it out and let's start over and let's uh, maybe come up with some way to address these grievances. It's true and you can definitely see sort of how overwhelming it is in the response of, of the Magahawk and the response of Lou when the community groups approached her. And you know, she said something which was very insightful. First, she said, I'm the governor of a territory, a colony. I don't have the power to do anything about this. Right. And then um, I think then, so that's, it's true in a way. Yeah. But the problem then is, especially in a room full of concerned sort of community members and activists, you want that to be the start of the conversation, not the end. Right. Which means, and so she, Lou had argued then that she's going to push for decolonization because on Guam in particular, because you could, you know, you could live in Wyoming and you could basically not have any interaction with the U.S. military, with U.S. military bases in Wyoming. It's a big state, not a lot of people. You could even live in California and be in a place where there's no U.S. military presence whatsoever. But in Guam, 212 square miles, 29% of that U.S. military bases, it's a huge part of the island. 
It's a huge part in so many ways, and so it's natural that the people would expect that it wouldn't just happen, that the military can't just say, you know what, we want to put 10,000 more people there because it's in our interests. And so um, Lou is in a tough place because she doesn't have a lot of power, so in a way she needs to, if she wants to kind of make some change, she's going to have to kind of protest a little bit. But does she want to? Does she want to go to bat for these activists in these community groups? I don't think she does. I think, well, I think that she may want to, just because um, Lou wasn't elected sort of on a platform that she's going to be the person who's going to sell the island off, right? She got elected more on sort of the ideas of family, of community, and sort of, and a lot of sort of a Chamorro cultural advocate. Let's not forget are. she had a really weak opponent. Well, but... And so, uh, well, at least one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, a lot of people, people read so much into why Lou won the election, and I think, you know, on its face, it was people didn't want Ray Tenorio as governor. Some people wanted Frank Ogden as governor, but he didn't, uh, you know, run in the right. I mean, running as a writer, and he did a tremendous job. He got so much support. So one reason why Lou should be cautious is because this is something that did in Camacho in a certain way was that Felix Camacho sort of handled the buildup in the way sort of the military was probably whispering to him, just do what we say, you're gonna, Guam is gonna get a lot of money out of this, just sort of go along with it, sort of submit the report, submit comments, and then he even learned then that sort of a lot of what had been promised in terms of Guam getting grants, access to funding, it never materialized. Mm -hmm. And so um, Lou kind of has to learn the same lesson, is that you're elected the, the leader of Guam, and that means that the, in, the military in Guam can have overlapping interests sometimes, but also we define our leaders by how much they protect our community, how right. much they stand up for our community, not by how, how willing they are to let somebody else sort of dictate things. So I thought it was interesting in that I felt, and I watched the whole meeting, I felt that the bit where she said, you know, we're a territory, you know, we can't really do anything, I almost felt as if that was her kind of appealing to that crowd of, of these people who, you know, you were there, mm -hmm. all the independence people were it's there. Like so pandering to the right, crowd. Right, maybe pandering to them. And when that didn't really work, she mm -hmm. went with the, well, it's national security, mm -hmm. which, you know, kind of backfired, right? And, yeah, and I want to really. turn it over to Julius because I know that um, he has his own feelings about okay. the buildup and the national security uh, mm -hmm. part where the governor basically said, hey, I'm in these meetings, you guys aren't in these meetings, the military is telling me. They're worried about China, they're worried about North Korea, and that was kind of her mic drop. I felt like in that meeting, that was her mic drop, like, hey, yeah, all this stuff is really cool, but at the end of the day, national security. It, it's very interesting, though. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you came to me with that point, but uh, I'll preface what I'm going to say by um, what you said earlier, Mike, I think is important, where that meeting with the governor was the start of the conversation. And there's, a, there's an element, a huge element missing to the conversation, and that's for the people who were in support of the the buildup. And I think at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We all want to preserve and protect our culture with respect to the Chamorro culture. Uh, and I'd like to say the biggest difference is, and this is not a despairing, what I'm, what I'm about to say is not disparaging, it's more of an observation that I've made, is those in support of the buildup are we're willing to compromise and make sacrifices, whereas those who are protesting seem like they, they do not want any kind of compromise when it comes to this buildup. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Or yeah, it's no, or you bring up a good... I kick myself agreeing with you, but you do bring up a good point, and that is that these activists and these community groups, it's all or nothing. Right. You're right. I mean, they want to, they want, and, and maybe not all or nothing, maybe that's an oversimplification, but I, I feel like... 90-10. <laughs> there are things that we could ask for, you yeah, know? Yeah. I mean, we're asking Absolutely. for, the governor feels like it's an impossible thing to do, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're asking her to go and ask. I totally disagree. I think if we're a territory, but the leader of this territory stands on a box and makes a lot of noise about the federal government ignoring our concerns. It's gonna, it's gonna get attention. I mean, she could get attention from Time Magazine for wanting to bring an abortion doctor to Guam. Then right. she could get attention for exactly. saying, "Hey, we're we right. don't have a seat at the table. Right. We're left out." Right. So I, I think it was a cop out for her to say that. Right. Oh, we're well, a colony. And, and uh, I will address that though. Uh, but, but I wanted to to address the fact that the conversation is not one sided. It's just that the side that's in support of the buildup, they either don't want to publicly express their opinion or they just don't care enough to, to, to do that, right? Um, and I think their concerns are just as valid as those who, who have decided to, to speak out. And so with respect to the national security, 
It is true. I mean, I, I've been following China's uh, activities globally, and they are actively bankrupting countries so that when the countries, they are actively flooding countries with billions of dollars, and when the countries can't pay them back, they renege on the contract. Now China controls strategic assets in each of these countries. It's called the uh, One Belt Road Initiative, right? So they're trying to recreate the Silk Road of you know, historic times. No, and you see it, man. I, I've been and in so, the Yap. You go to Yap, yeah. you go to Palau. There's Chew, so much even. Chinese investment. The CNMI, I mean, yeah, they're absolutely. right there. So Right, and we see that every day with their casino and... And I mean, they're here in Guam, they're running the casino. And I'm not saying all Chinese people are bad, but with respect to their government, the, what the Communist Party is doing, that's, that's, they're pretty blatant about it. Uh, North Korea, President Trump, although his name, saying his name itself can be contentious, he was the first U.S. president to ever step foot in North Korea. So he's doing what he can to ease the tensions there, because you've got Russia, China, North Korea, they're all in cahoots. And so we're like smack dab, we're the tip of the spear, so to right. speak, we're right here. So let's get it's, it's Doctor. A, that's but I'll say that's us. the reason why that is being cited. I don't think it's a cop out. Maybe I'm not saying for her, but the strategic position, the geopolitical positioning for the defense of the rest of the nation. Because I think we're so isolated, we don't think of everybody else that's under the protection. And, uh, and so there, past you. I would just so I would just caution that because if we look at the biggest historical example that we have, which is World War II, mm -hmm. and when it hits Guam. Mm -hmm. What was communicated to the Chamorro people at that time was completely different than what the U.S. military actually felt. So when Chamorros asked the U.S. Navy, is Japan going to attack us? Are we in danger? The U.S. Navy said, no, you guys are fine. Japan would never challenge us. Um, I came across Ernest Hemingway's accounts of when he passed through Guam in 1941, and he said that the, mil the Navy officers here called the Japanese worthless monkeys who would never dare to challenge the white man. And they laughed. Now, as that was happening, they were pulling forces out, and they were talking about what were you going to do, and they were planning for an eventual Japanese attack, but they did not include the local population in the conversation. Right. Now, those Chamorros who had friends who were the governor, the Navy governor, they got told on the side, store food, because we're going to get attacked any day now. And so it's relevant today because whatever they tell the governor, whatever they tell us, we have to remember that that may not be what they're actually planning. It may not be what they're actually doing. And so we have to have the ability to think for ourselves. Because when, you know, when Lou said that there's a threat from North Korea, I'm like, well, according to President Trump, we don't have to worry about North Korea. Yeah. Because him and Kim Jong-un are like BFFs. They're, like, they're like this. They're like top sharer, top sharer <laughs> on Facebook. Right. And so, but then that, so on the one hand, you have part of the US government saying, we don't got to worry about North Korea anymore. And then on the other hand, we say this is a dangerous super threat. And so that's why we would want from Lou, from, from the Magahawka, from other leaders, the ability to kind of look at the situation and come up with well, what is Guam's interest in this? Right. What is Nurse, Guam's I wanna, place uh, in this? I'm curious what your thoughts are on this well, national security thing. Well, my whole thing is that as the governor, she really can't approach this from a dichotomous point of view. It's not an either or issue. Right. The, 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 the national interest of Guam should be her primary interest, not just the national security in relation to right. being protected militarily, but first and foremost, she has to know who she is and what it is that she stands for within her, her community. Right. And that's her responsibility. It's not just to, to um, do what the U.S. Do says, what the US says right. but she has to balance it, and yeah. that's her job as a leader. And I think one thing we're not hitting on in this discussion is um, this idea that if we go to the military and say, hey, you know, we want to um, make sure that our environment is being treated mm -hmm. properly. We want to make sure that our ancestral sites are right. being treated fairly. We want to have more involvement in the way these sites are investigated and handled. If we do those things, the military is not going to pack up and split. And that was kind of like yeah. the premise that I it's felt right. the governor was operating under right. that, oh my God, you activists, if you come and you ask for all these things, they're just going to leave. And then what about our national security? Right. So I don't, and I, I think that she's it's well true. within her rights to mm -hmm. make the ask, like mm -hmm. she said. And I, right. I felt that this notion that, and you see this a lot with people, uh, you're very familiar with the people who hate on independence. They say, oh, what about the U.S. is going to leave? And I don't think, I think there's a certain, amount of wiggle room that we have. I think that well, we're actually dealing from a position of strength. Even if even if you're somebody who supports statehood for Guam, you should still want a strong governor who will stand up for Guam. Yeah. 
And even if you're for free association for independence, regardless of what you are, you want your your leader empowered that if there is something which may potentially in like injure the island, harm the island, not be great for the island, mm -hmm. you want them to feel empowered. Mm -hmm. And even all three of those statuses would give the governor, the legislature, the people a little bit more power to more power over something such as this. Even as a state, you would have voting representatives in Washington, D.C. You would have a, a delegation which could lobby as one with their votes on your behalf to try to defeat certain things that you don't like as independents. As right. independent or freely associated, you'd have agreements, you'd have sure. treaties. And I think the federal things. government's aware of our inadequacies in this area because I've seen the docs where they say that our status as a territory gives them maximum flexibility for this buildup. So obviously there are reasons why they're pushing this uh, buildup on a territory because, you know, they couldn't do it in Okinawa anymore. And there's That's other right. places in the U.S. where they're just not going to have it, you know. Sure. So. But so there's two points, because you brought up one point that's not being hit on. There are two other points that's not being hit on. Uh, the, the third one that I wanted to mention was the fact that, again, we're assuming that the governor needs to speak only for the activists, whereas there's a huge chunk of the population that does support this. And that leads me to one of the points that we're not hitting on is, I know that money, again, the, the involvement of money, just people just kind of show that contempt, but there are small contractors, the majority of them are being subcontracted by the prime contractors. These are business owners that leverage their personal assets to start their companies. Every day that passes by that they're not working that they didn't plan for as far as their cash flow, they lose out, the potential to lose their companies, the locals working for them lose their jobs. And I know that these conversations kind of just get blown to the side. Right. But these are people's livelihoods. So how do we balance that? Sure. Again, because it's But I don't think we balance it by allowing the military to just bulldoze well, through. And this is, this is the second part that I, that, that I bring to is the fact that we can, we have, and this is where people, again, shut me out or whatever, and that's fine, but this is how I see it, how I've come to see it over, over the years. I'm looking at this thing and trying to figure out exactly where I stand, but we actually have the ability to protest the military of the government of our government, and when you look around the world, there are not many countries that can actually do that and get away with it as far as their citizenship. So I'm, I'm like humbled by the fact that we can do that. I look at the protesters standing and, and blocking traffic up at Anderson, like any dictatorial government, they would have just been shot, you know what I mean, like get out of our way. So they, I'm humbled by the fact that they have that freedom and the liberty to do that. And I may sound like whatever, aloof, but to me, this is, it's at the core of what's happening. And so bring it back to the fact where it's like, where's the compromise then? Tell us exactly what you want, lay it out. Because there was one site, there was protests, they moved it, now they're trying to do it on base. Right, yeah. But, but I, there's and, I, more pro and the only reason why we're making these discoveries is because they're actively doing construction work and they're clearing right. land. I mean, what yeah. about the rest of Guam that was developed? What about where we're sitting right now in this building? What yeah, but I, I think if, if the time to, to be vigilant is now, then the time is now. If sure. we, and because we may have missed things before, I think so, it, it means yeah, that we actually, should be more I'm not, vigilant I'm, now. Right. I'm not saying that. But I, I got a, yeah. on, on the economic argument, I mean, the governor herself, who, I mean, she freaking owns a bank, she doesn't buy into the economic argument. Sure. She I, I'm not Ross talking about, about the issue of the carpetbaggers. So right. I thought that was interesting, and that was something that but we kind of glossed over. She can, she can bring up that point. However, the fact is, there are local contracting sure. companies yeah. that are working on this project who who are local business owners who employ other locals and so we have to we have to incorporate that into this whole thing like this, this is their livelihood i'm not addressing the fact that oh are we going to make billions or not i'm addressing the fact that this is really happening these local companies are hired yeah, they have local employees what's going to happen i think um, if that goes if, under that's their even if you even if you want the build up and believe that it's going to bring an, a good economic benefit to the island you still want your governor to actually stand up because one of the reasons is that the build up as it is now and the military's own studies make it clear that guam benefits in a very marginal way because the number of 7 billion 6 billion that mm -hmm. comes into the island just a small fraction of that actually goes to the sub-subcontractors that goes in indirect spending the economy. Sure, but how does that make what the subcontractors are earning invalid? Again, that's for their livelihood. It's not but like the they're reason walking away why twisting is, their mustaches. So saying, the problem is that it's actually a really bad deal for Guam. And the military, their studies always made it clear that Guam, because, because if you... So I if think you, if you go back a, and you read the military's own words and the, you know, and the... 
socioeconomic impact statements. I mean, they say it, and it's plain English. That yeah, they make clear direct jobs are in construction. They come and they go, and That's most the of them the will go. Industry. And most of them will go to off-island companies. Mm -hmm. And then they also say that indirects in other jobs that are made will largely go to dependents of people in the military. And so, um, but oh, but even if so, let's say you support it. Let's say you want it. You have to look at it and think actually that Guam is benefiting very in a very small way from it because we never stood up and we never pushed. We never actually argued for a better deal. We right. were too busy mm -hmm. saying that we support the buildup, yeah. right. we like the buildup, mm -hmm. and we love America. Mm -hmm. Because the programmatic agreement is a perfect example of that. It was signed, but people that have been working with the military using the programmatic agreement for years say the military doesn't even really follow their part of the bargain. Right. That, uh, and at the meeting with Magahagaloo, they're supposed to, they've, they've promised that sort of uh, cultural resources, like if they harvest native trees, they're supposed to make them available to, the, to artisans, to mm -hmm. cultural practitioners. And they you threw mean, like, away fit that they, yeah. they threw away most of them, and they worked with community groups such as Ulitao to identify the trees which were perfect for canoes, and then the military just threw them away right. and gave and them. And it's not it's not surprising. Like it, really, surprising, I don't. I, I mean, it's 2019. We have you know decades of of the military doing what the military does, and that that's their interest, right? They're not looking out for us. They're not trying to make us money. Their interest is national security and. You know, well, when we say national security, does. that's the security of the entire nation to include its territories. And again, it doesn't, maybe it's just it doesn't the way actually, I see it, but the fact that, again, we have the freedom to protest against them. It and you look historically throughout include the, the entire globe. That's, normally it doesn't include the territory. Well, we have the liberties here to, to pursue our life. We're here talking on a podcast. You know what I mean? You get to... Yeah, but I mean to say that we're here talking on a podcast means that we should just shut up and take it. No, that's not what I'm saying. Because no, I said, I, I think we all want the same thing. It's just... Those who want the buildup are willing to make compromises and sacrifices. They're not just going to say, do whatever you want. That's where I agree with you. I think you that know? if these activists um, and community groups, I mean, to call for a complete pause and everything, uh, people well, have their feelings around. Right. You're right. So you're right. Say, and so say, hey, want. for the ancestral sites, we want to be more involved. We want to have more uh, you know, oversight on it. I think that's they are right. There should be a, some sort of plan as, as opposed to just like, no, stop everything. Because I think for against the buildup, that boat has sailed. It's happening. You know what I mean? Whether we like it or not. And I think we need to find these concessions and fight for them. And I, I mean, and I really do applaud these activists and community groups because they're bringing up valid points yeah. and they're getting thrown under the bus. For we, it. we need, we need that voice because people can get jaded. Those who are contemporary living their lives today, we can get jaded. We can forget about the, the value of the aspect. You know, the, the, the ancient artifacts and. and flora and the fauna. Um, with that said, though, it's like, okay, we need to have a balance between how do we keep our people moving forward into the future while bringing along what is important to us of our traditions and our culture. Uh, the plan would be really great so that they could spell out exactly what it is that they want. So we can save a lot of people. But I mean, and, they're, and, and, and not to speak for them, but I think their mentality is that so much has gone wrong that it's prudent to just stop and reassess. That's kind of like the whole gist of what, what I think. But it's easy for them to for. say that, but the, yeah. the big picture is like it's the entire nation and the whole time. Federal dollars, we have to remember, are tax, American taxpayer dollars. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like the money's coming out of our pocket essentially. So every time we ask them to halt, now the military is causing the pause. Now they have to pay the contractors, and there's all this really yeah, complex Yeah, but if you ask them to halt because they're doing things they shouldn't be doing, that's. That's totally well within. Yeah, I know. Right. So yeah. how do you how do you balance that moving forward? There's well, a group I that, think that right there's now a group it's not that being balanced, so we yeah, need sure. to somehow. I think, I think that calling for a pause is a middle ground because it's not like um, people are saying kick the military Understood. off the island, yeah, close all the point. bases. So calling for a pause is a very good compromise because. I, every time somebody challenges me and says, "Oh, you know, you're so anti-buildup," or "You're so," I'm like, "No, no, no." The the reports that come out of the construction are very anti-buildup. Because every time you hear a report that, oh, some contractors accidentally bulldozed some stuff because no one was with them to tell them that, that is actually, those are artifacts. Like, no, the, the, the rationale that you need for why they're not following their own rules, why they're not following their own procedures, is just being reported in the media. All the activists are doing are saying, based on this fact, that last year there was the destruction of Magua, which 
in Nick Thames, which the military knew it was there, but they still bulldozed through it, taking some of the stuff away, and that there's still been more destruction of different areas now, better pause. I mean, for me personally, I feel like they're just trying to rush through it before... I don't yeah. know, before Trump takes the money to build the wall <laughs> in Mexico. Yeah. Because that was one of the proposals, right, was yeah. that the money for the buildup be siphoned off to go to build the border wall. And so they're trying to kind of push it through and ram it through as quickly as they can before something changes in Washington. Narissa? Yeah, you know, but the, the reality is that, okay, we just received notice that the admiral had denied their request to right. fall. So right. now what? Yeah. What's the resolution now from the legislature? What, what are the activists going to do? What's the governor going to do? Oh, wait. So on Wednesday at 5 p.m., <laughs> there's a protest. There's oh, a demonstration. Hey, that's just it. <laughs> yeah. Fresh you off heard WhatsApp. You heard it here first. Hot right? off the yeah. WhatsApp press. Yeah, Mike, so i gotta, I got to ask, cause I, and I know all these activists, and, I've, you know, in covering this issue, I have to be in contact with them, and I knew before they sat down, because we had reported on it, that the governor had no intention of asking for a complete pause in the firing range. And we have these senators doing this resolution, yeah. which is so, to ask the governor to ask the military to do something she's not going to do. She said she's not going to do it. And so now what is the legislature right. going to do? So why not just make this resolution the legislature, which they've done before. They did a resolution in the last legislature. They said, hey, can we just have a pause? It's totally ignored. So maybe they figured, oh, well, it didn't work last time. Let's kind of fine-tune it and ask it's the governor. It's a pandering mechanism. It, it is. It, I guess it can be in a certain way. But let me just uh, mention before yeah, I forget. Protest, so yeah. demonstration at Chief Kapua Circle, 5 p.m. on Wednesday. And so for those of you sort of that are, that are concerned about issues of historic preservation, cultural resources, environmental protection, um, those of you that have concerns about the buildup, um, that want to sort of show our leaders sort of the, the support that you have in the community for, for protecting these sorts of things, feel free to come out Wednesday, 5 p.m., Chief Kapoor Circle. Mm -hmm. And so um, to, the, to that issue, though, I mean, I'm hoping, that, I'm hoping that Lou sees that it's to her advantage, just because when she mentioned carpetbaggers in the meeting... That was, was crazy. It, to me, it was, it was, it was I big. I was pretty, like, wow. It was big, because she's—that's kind of woke. I mean, you know, and I, hate, I hate to borrow the term, no. but I was like, "Oh, gov, that's kind of woke." But then on the other side, she's like national security, which is not woke. And so, <laughs> even if you—and I always tell people—even if you support the buildup, you should want the buildup to stop and to get re, redrawn and redone. You should want the government to be strong and stand up against it, because the way it is now, the military kind of does what they want. You look yeah. at so you look at how buildups work in other countries. If there's a treaty relationship between the countries, then they get to decide how much of the money goes for each country. So because Japan is paying for this, part of this, some of the money gets to go to Japanese contractors only. The U.S. also has similar requirements. Guam has no such thing. So the U.S. uses its own firms. They, they, they meet their obligations for other countries and their, their firms. And then they just sub subcontract if they if they can't do it themselves if they don't have somebody they want to pay stateside or somewhere else and so we get the crumbs so it doesn't have to be like that if if the governor if the legislature wanted to pass some laws to close carpetbagger right. loopholes yeah. they definitely could good yes they definitely could but you don't do that by saying I, I support the buildup you have to pause you have to reflect you have to look this buildup may benefit some on the island. Is it going to benefit a large majority of people? Is it going to benefit the island as a whole? And the way you look at it now, it doesn't, it doesn't pan out. It does benefit some. It absolutely. It provides right. and I some think, economic I think part, for some. What Julius is bringing up about uh, this silent majority that supports the build-up in all you know, ways, shape, and, and means, I don't think we see it. When we do see people who come out to support the build-up, you question their motives because they're either tied to the Chamber of Commerce or... Uh, like Senator Moylan, right? Some of the, the, the arguments he made, while some of them, I'm pretty sure he's going to get a lot of support for that, because you're right, a lot of people support the buildup, but it's probably because they don't have all the information. Sure. Uh, that may or may not be the case. For those... And then when you get Senator Moylan coming out and saying that, oh, if it wasn't for the military, we wouldn't even know these sites existed. If they didn't bulldoze it, well, we wouldn't even be talking about it. It's just so naive. 
You could say it's naive, but it's, I mean, how else would we have known that it was there if they weren't actually there? I think we all do. I want to go back to the, I want to go back to the point, um, so many See, points. Good one, like, <laughs> okay, so those who support the buildup, it's not strictly financial, right? There's, again, there are a lot of people out there who actually sure, are humble right. enough and they're grateful right, for yeah. the fact that we can live our lives the way that we do. It sucks that there are these things that happen historically to Guam, but it's not unique to Guam. It's happened all over the world, throughout the world's history. And only this is the only point in time where we're able to have these discussions openly and not fear for any kind of repercussions coming from the government or some kind of authoritarian uh, leadership. And that's all kind of like out there, like, oh, what is he talking about? But really, at the end of the day, we, we have been so spoiled with the liberties that we've had, lacking whatever it else may be lacking. Uh, I, I think that it can kind of skew the conversation. So again, I think we all this want the same thing to, argument, right? to preserve it. No, it's not status quo. It's, it's, I mean, we can always improve. You mentioned Guam is just getting the crumbs. It's like you can look at it like that, or you can look at it like, well, okay, if we're, not, if, we're not, if we're not actually going to get this, how can we maximize this, right, and use it to, to yeah. get more out but of it? You, but you got to be against the buildup in order to do that. You have to be willing to be critical and right. willing to we, say you know, no. That's everything. Yeah, yeah. I think, to, that's, I think that's the thing is that if... You supported and be critical. I'm, I wish that there were more, because that always confounds me, because whenever... Whenever I see people who don't own apartment buildings or who don't own construction companies say they're for the build-up, I'm always like, but why? And they say, oh, because of jobs. And I'm like, but you do realize that every study the military's ever done says that you, the build-up will cost you money. It, it's not going to give you any money. The build-up will cost you money because your rent, your rent will go up, your cost of living will go up, your time in traffic will go up, your utilities will go up, your wait time at the hospital will go up. Which these are all things that the militaries said themselves. Yeah, I'm not, the military's own yeah, studies yeah, right. say that your average person will not benefit in any way from the buildup, less so from the reduced buildup that they're putting forth. And so that's why I always say you have to, supporting it doesn't help you. You have to be willing to recognize our position in it, that we are in a subordinated position, and you kind of have to be against it, even if just temporarily, to open your mind to think, we deserve better. Right, yeah. We deserve better. And so, a pause. Yeah, and I, I got to dial back. What I meant when I said that they're not willing to compromise is I want to see more uh, details and, and details that I think, mm -hmm. I mean, God, who doesn't want to, like, preserve and investigate in a real archaeological way these sites up on the, who doesn't want that we're living in a freaking renaissance we have a museum i don't think that there's anything wrong with that and i also don't think that just because julius doesn't agree he he wants to see them gunning the bulldozer through yeah. all the sites up there yeah i think there's a somewhere so in the middle what, that's what i was talking about that it's not a dichotomous decision right it's right. not that you're either for the build-up or you're not for the build-up but what what is being called to our attention is the need for us to pause and re-examine whether the, the rate by which this is, change is happening is really the rate that we want to go, go with. And I think it also calls, again, uh, attention to the fact that um, the right to self-determination really needs to be exercised. This is the optimum point. Right. Because what another event, we're going to let this go, and then, at what point will the leaders have the courage to call the vote down? And there was, that was another thing I thought was interesting, that the governor, had, uh, when she dropped that, we're a territory, we can't really do anything, no, she said, okay. that's why I'm really supporting decolonization, which I totally disagree with. They have one, they have Melvin, and then they have another guy, uh, Josh, who is split between the Commission on Decolonization mm -hmm. and running errands for whoever an Adelou wants, you know, or whatever he does. He's not a full-time decolonization employee. So I thought it was really disingenuous for Lou. I don't know who advises her on these things, but to say that, hey, we're a territory, we can't do anything unless we decolonize, that's why I support decolonization. But she doesn't. And none of you guys called her on it. She, well, I guess it is, yeah. I mean, we're hoping, that was one thing that I would hope would come out of it, though, yeah. was that if, it, if she was on record saying that, then we could push for more funding and more support. Because, yeah, that office had at least two staffers and one, one principal for a long time. Right. And then now, for the past couple, 
uh, administrations. It's all these split, all schizophrenic sort of out of loop <laughs> entities yeah. in nine but different offices. But it's not offices. just a governor. It also requires for a delegate to be engaged in. That. Oh, he does. Yeah. And, and so, at I, what I, point? <laughs> when again right. are we? Is that going to be pushed? I mean. Every year, they're saying excuse. I just don't see Congressman Nicholas, you know, banging the hall down there. Hey, we need decolonization. I just don't think it's, I don't think he's ever said it's a priority. It's interesting, sitting here listening to you guys, that this new question just entered my head. It's like, and this is going to sound really bad for a lot of people out there, but why is decolonization so important? How is that going to impact your life right now? Oh, I mean... Potentially. Well, I always say decolonization is one of those things that affects everything. We don't often realize it, but the most important thing is, of course, just the cost of, of everything that we buy. And so the Jones Act, sort of that, so different studies show stuff on Guam is 30%, 50%, 100% more expensive because of the Jones Act. Right. And, and I'm so, just like, if you don't know why decolonization is important, then maybe you just should well, beyond, it. Yeah. beyond the economic, because economic we can fix without, and I'm not saying to not decolonize, right? It's why is, why is the status so important? We can fix economic issues without decolonizing, so to speak, right? Because I understand can. the Jones Act, and I did a lot of research on it when I was working at Gita, and, and there's a lot of ways around it. It's we need to assert ourselves again. There's ways that we can assert ourselves and again, this is not to say we should yeah. not decolonize. But there's way more ways why we can. Yeah, but wh uh, what is the purpose? Okay, because like, there's different perspectives. There's the independent, there's the free association, there's the statehood. Like, why, what are the three different reasons why we Go should ahead, decolonize? Marissa. The right to self-determination is the right of every human being. It's an inalienable sure, right. Sure, why is it important? I guess that's It is question. important to the identity of the group of people who have yet to exercise it. It is very important. For, you start with that as a, as, as a premise. Mm -hmm. And so for historically, at what point has, have the Chamorro people have really exercised their... We're doing their, it today with the protests. Where we're saying we're Chamorros and we're protesting the building. So, and I'm not arguing against. I'm, I really want to know what's important so I can help make my own decision at the end of the day because I'm not following anything. I, like, I, I'm thinking for myself. I'm trying to figure this out for even, myself. Uh, even people that are... Uh, so yeah. I always find it funny because even if you are more of a Chamber of Commerce type person and you are pro buildup and you sort of... you There's lots of reasons to be in favor of decolonization. Well, like, and, um, well, earlier you said that you know most of the people who speak up who are in support are in the Chamber. It's like, that's because these individuals actually have the strength of character to stand up and say something. They're I entrepreneurs. Think it's far less. I think it's just they they want to make money off of it, and that's you, well, these I mean, activists you're, aren't you're making a dime. Right. They 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 want to make money. They see an opportunity for business. Uh, it's more complex than just their bank accounts. They support. Sure. And I, I don't. Some I'm not saying there's employees. anything wrong with that. I'm yeah, just no. saying that like but when someone speaks admit. up and they have a motive, mm. then that makes me a little more cynical. But you, you got to admit that business owners have been vilified in, in a lot of these different conversations that we have. It's like oh, they're just doing it for the money, just doing it for the money. It's like man, entrepreneurs and business owners. They're, they're so stressed out. We're trying to make sure that their employees get paid every two weeks. I'm not saying they're, not, they're the nicest people in the world, but they do have that responsibility to make sure their employees get paid. I think we're going way off on a different. Um, but these are the different. This, these, this is the nuance of the conversation. It's, it's way more complex. Yeah, I, I don't think we're talking about. Uh, I mean, people sure, they're doing it for the money. That's what they're supposed to do, right? That's it's what businesses business, right? do. Yeah, I mean, course, if, yeah. if you're not making a profit, you can't sustain your business. Which is. But I want to go back to what Narissa said. It was uh, like decolonization. Yeah, yeah I. Yeah. I agree with that, but that's not why I support. I think that being pro Guam, the best deal that we can get is going to be the one that we broker ourselves. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I don't buy into the, I agree with that. you know, colonized tears. Uh, I don't feel like there's a physical pain yeah. that I'm living uh, under because we're a colony, but I see how it affects everything. You know, I mean, every facet of our life from the cost of living to, uh, you know, socioeconomic, to immigration, sure, sure. I mean, education, it's all, immigration. So, so wouldn't you all want to have a say in all Of course, this? totally. Yeah. I just don't, I just don't, uh, because I'm more practical, I don't think that decolonizing helps me with my identity. I'm yeah. secure in my identity, yeah. you know, okay. but I think that for practical reasons and political reasons that, I mean, God, decolonization, it's a no-brainer. Everyone does, you think 10 years ago, it was one of those 
you know, divisive things, but now, I mean, we had, it was a major issue in the campaign last year, so I think we've come a long way and I fully support and it. Even building off of that, part of the, the build-up conversation and then the conversation around Guam and our relationship to the, the U.S. military, you can see similar ways in which it's just evolved and it's matured. Because one of the things is if there's a huge, if there's a huge presence on your island, is it better just to wave a flag and then kind of salute it as it does what it does? Even though it's this huge presence on your island, it, it has a huge say over what happens at the federal level. It has a huge say over what happens, how your island is perceived by those around you. Is it better to know about it, be willing to discuss it, its benefits, its flaws, or is it better to just kind of wave a flag and say, I support it. I support the troops. I support the buildup. And in the past, the community on Guam was really s stuck in this mode where it's kind of like you can't question. You can't talk about those things. You can't challenge those things. No, I mean, look why, at the conversation you, where it, it's still that way. No, no, I think it's shifted. Well, why, do you think our, why do you think in the past, like my grandparents, our grandparents' generation, why would they have that perspective? Because I thought about that a lot. Yeah. My grandfather never brought up the war in, in, in negative terms. He never, he wasn't bitter about anything. He wasn't, he just like, I just had to keep moving on with my life. And, and I think that's, that's part of that, that generation. Because, you know, my, my grandfather uh, was in the Insular Guard. So, uh, and his story is, is very interesting because uh, he was in the Guard. And these were the people who, you know, after the Americans started and, whatever yeah. he was going around killing Japanese you know what I mean and he was pretty much a member of the US military but it took decades for him to be recognized as such so he went his whole life no health coverage none of the the bennies that you know regular uh, veterans get and by the time he did uh, get his honorary marina status and uh, you know the veterans benefits it was too late he was sick but my grandfather never whistled the star-spangled banner out of his butt. He was, was not one of these people who was like, I'm so grateful. In fact, he didn't like the military. And we grew up and there was a saying, effing Marines. And we, I heard it from him, I heard it from so many other people. So I think like this idea that the older generation is just so great. They have their own thoughts on things. You know? Yeah, 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 no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I'm so, just saying, that's why I said that's what I learned. Because we kind of, other people, people get, operate yeah, on this assumption kind of like, inherited. oh, our, our grandparents are just like so pro-American and they were just, but they weren't really. Not all of them. Yeah. And I actually, was, a lot of them were racist towards everyone else. <laughs> right, yeah. I think I mean, part of it I'm was... I'm repeat some of the rights right, I yeah. <laughs> So I think part of it was that they had strong feelings, but that they didn't share them publicly. Right. That was the thing. At the end of the day, they just... We're glad to not be surrounded by bombs and bullets, and they were able to live their and lives. And there is out. that, of course. Because I mean, we'd be naive to, to so think that they weren't. <laughs> there isn't a sense of gratitude, but I mean, like every year, we offer up this gratitude on this liberation altar, and you know, here we are, seventy-five years later, still doing it and not enjoying the full benefits of the relationship that you know we want. Mm -hmm. Nurse, no, you said it all. Oh, that's it. <laughs> I, agree I will agree and say we're not enjoying the full benefits. Right, and that's what um, really the, the gist of decolonization is. It's, it's not to, yeah. to show a middle finger to the, to the right. U.S. It's not. It's really just but to do what's best for It's not just for the identity. The identity is important for right. a group yeah. of people. Sure. It, it just is. It's not no, I agree for with them you, yeah. to be empowered to participate but in they, making decisions. Right. That it's they who are determining mm -hmm. which direction the island will go. Just them or everybody? Just them, just tomorrow. Well, how, come, how come they just them? Tomorrow. Because, tomorrow. because the rest of us already yeah. have uh, exercised But I'm tomorrow our... too, and I have a different perspective, so this is where the problem is. Oh, then that's where you vote. Yeah. Well, you, you guys vote. vote. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I guess I was... Because uh, I mean, when you were saying vote. to have a voice in what happens, it's like, well, we, we kind of put the people who are competent <laughs> to make those decisions in place, right? Yeah. Like, we're not in charge now of finances the for the company, because... <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just trying to like <laughs> define roles. Like I wouldn't want right, you yeah. know average Joe Cruz making decisions on things that are so complex that he has no idea what they're about. He's only looking at it face value and basing it on their emotions. Well, that's more. why education is so important. <laughs> to a certain degree, yeah, absolutely. Education, dialogue, like this. Oh yeah, let's talk about the town hall real quick. Let's wrap. Uh, let's wrap on this uh, town hall. Like I that's mean, like that's a threat in our community, right? This right. So. 
What are you guys' feelings on, on, on this uh, tunnel? This was, you know, I don't really don't want to go through the whole background, but spurred by this machete attack, and now mm -hmm. we're going around all these different villages, so the, finding out they're not safe, which so, we already So know. the one that I watched, uh, for the most part, was the one in Dededo. Right. And what I really saw was a lot of talking from the officials, and uh, I guess later on, you know, the, the community, but there was a lot of... Um, Offensive, you know, right. offense. Like yeah, saying, on, we're the doing offense. The, on the offense. Right, right, right. Uh, we're doing this, we're doing that, and be sure that, remember that we all should just get along, we should right. respect each other. Right. And but I mean, and that, that, and right. that, that <laughs> kind of preface is meant to diffuse anything that the people in attendance would have to say, but it didn't really work. So there were yeah. people who spoke after that. But, but I thought it was interesting. The first meeting, the governor was, she calls these meetings, she goes on a trip. Uh, the first meeting, it was just crazy. I mean, there were, people are heated, and this is a heated issue. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really torn about it because I don't know how to feel. I feel certain ways that I'm not sure am I racist or you know I'm not, not really sure how to feel about it. And one one thing You're that not that I keep hearing from uh, the FSM consulate is uh, this idea that when we talk about uh, FSM migrants or people of uh, FSM descent living on Guam who commit crimes, we're somehow saying that all of them are committing mm -hmm. crimes. And mm -hmm. we're not talking about all of them. We're talking about, I feel like we're talking about the ones who, yeah. there's a problem. Why are we pretending there's not a problem or why are we tippy-toeing around we uh, this fact? Yeah, so. we, we arrest Chamorro criminals for the crimes they commit and we right. call them out. Right. So but we don't have a town hall about it. Why we don't have a town hall about why are Chamorros doing this. Well, it's crazy. I haven't seen a Chamorro wielding a machete in the community in quite a while. Oh, we've wielded our share. No, historically, that's yeah. for sure. But well, I mean, of, I, my mom lives on that street, right? Right. It yeah. happened, it started right across at right. Best Store, yeah. unfortunately. You know, I talked to the owners and they were kind of freaking out about the whole thing. And, and to, unfortunately, the race of the individuals who did this is part of the whole thing. So when we talk about it and we talk about their, their community is still trying to integrate into ours. You know, the Filipinos have been here for so many decades. And our cultures are so similar that it really wasn't a, a hard match, right? It was we, we but integrated when easily. we first came, there was a lot of conflict too. Sure, but right. I'm saying but you've been here long enough to where things have yeah. kind of and settled is that, down. Is that the solution? But, Do we just need to wait? No, no, no. no. Really I be think proactive. What, part of the problem is that when we came, we had some kind of status. We we're either green card holders or we were U.S. citizens. Right. But for the FSM, mm -hmm. they're not. Yeah. They don't have. Uh, they're not green card holders, yeah. and they're not U.S. citizens, but they have the privilege to come here, yeah, and right. I think that's part of the grief that a lot of the community members have. Is that sure, but I mean, there's nothing we can do about that now, so what do we do about the, the negative side effects, you know, the negative impacts that do take place? I want to hear what Mike thinks, because this is something that I don't really hear your group talking about, is, is immigration, and I mean, but to me, it's, it really is a decolonization about, issue. Yeah. It is. It is um, the basic, this is one of the reasons why um, previously when you had people like Joe Ada pushing for a commonwealth, mm -hmm. they wanted the control over immigration because you, you cannot basically say that you're self-governing if you can't decide who can come in and who can come yeah. out, of your, out of your territory. And so, um, yes, for independent Guahan sort of decolonizing and then developing sort of a relationship with the FSM, which is between two entities, as opposed to where we have it now, where right. where um, between the US stuff and happens, the, the U.S. and so when when Governor Calvo or Governor Lou say we're going <laughs> to deport people, and then the U.S. State Department says you're the governor of a territory, you can't deport yeah. anyone. If we want to deport people, we do it, but not you. Uh, decolonizing and getting a real relationship, I think it would definitely help because then you could still have people from the FSM coming into Guam and sort of enjoying certain privileges, but it would be part of a negotiated agreement. Because that was that's always that issue. We get affected by all these things where no one asked us what we wanted, we didn't sit at the table. Sure. Whether and it's the programmatic we, agreement or the compact right. impact agreement. Right. And, and I, want to, I want to end it on, on Julius here, because you know we've, we've went over our time. Uh, we talk about this agreement, this compact impact agreement, but there are things in there mm -hmm. that say what People who come here are supposed to do so. Yeah, we have that in place. Why are we enforcing? It? And I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because we, and again, this is where it gets very contentious. People are like, oh, you know, you brought it up earlier. It's racist. Like it's not racist. You know, uh, 
we, we welcomed them, despite the fact that we weren't invited to the table, so there's nothing we can do about it. So let's work with it. Yes, there were, there were, there were uh, requirements, and they're not being followed. And unfortunately, it's, it's, a, so it's, a, strain, it's a strain on our, on our resources. <laughs> Too bad, so sad. Get out of here. Right? It's, a, it's a strain on our resources. Right. And the right. contention yeah. between the yeah. communities yeah. arises when, when, when there's that pressure on the resources. How do we help our people? We're supposed to be helping them. So, and I don't think enough of their leadership in the positive side, I, I don't think enough of their voices have been heard because there are, there are leaders in their community that actively go out and they Do try great to Great work yeah. out there and the, they're out on the, and you don't hear about it because they're too busy out there trying to change things. That's another thing that I, people say, oh, what about their community? They're not, they are doing yeah, things. They, are. they know this is an issue and they're out there trying to change it. And, but for us to not even talk about it because we're worried about being yeah. called racist, like, no, this is a, and this is where I become like, you know, what Chamorro would say, this is our home. And they, we didn't invite them here, but we're doing our best to be gracious hosts. And when individuals come and take advantage of it or just flat out disrespect it, I appreciate what, what Gov Calvo was doing, was deporting these criminals, sending them back to their country, saying, you need to deal with these people because we're helping the people that actually want to help themselves. And these and people are coming the, here committing crimes. Right. And most of the crimes they commit are against your own people. You know, and it's really sad when you sit down and you analyze it. There's... Out of all the violent crimes in Guam, the, the Chukis community specifically commit 30% of them. And this is, it's like, how can we help them reduce that number? I mean, I, I want to help them. I yeah, really do. But, I'm we, tired but, of but the, the concerns are so contentious to talk about. People start to get mad and say, we cannot. It's no, like a, it's think, like a relationship. Think, like, yeah. hey, how can we fix this if all we're doing is yelling at each other? Right. Yeah. You know? and, and, I, and I think that. There's this idea in this millennial society where if you are even talking about race, it's racist. Yeah, yeah. yeah and we're, we're not, I mean, yeah, they're Chukis, or yeah, they're from the FSM, yeah, but that's yeah. not why they're doing the no, things. No, it's not. And I, and I think that's part of the big the problem community. is that, yeah. I mean, if we're just talking about race and not, you know, assigning any negative light because of the race, like I'm not saying that they're out there macheting people because they're Chukis. I'm not saying no, that. No, no. But I mean... It is part of the conversation, whether you're Chamorro or whatever. I mean, it, race is something that we just can't escape it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and to just tippy-toe and not mention it, I think it's kind of it's kind of different, right? Yeah. You identify it so you can... Because we've all got our opinions about race. Yeah. And, you and you're fight. right, Marissa, yeah. I've seen this generationally, right? So you go back to the Filipinos came. I mean, the Filipinos used to be the Chukis of Guam. Where yes. It was just like, <laughs> like that, you know what I mean? And then it was the Palauans. And, yeah, and then we, we right. moved up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's we kept moving up. Coming to take the right. right, yeah. So, But I really think at the end of the day, there's a huge cultural differences in how we live our... How, we, how they live their lives in their countries and how we live our lives in Guam. And that's, I think that's a big part of the solution is, right. you know. Yeah, but I don't know if like, I, I hear we talk about these cultural differences, but I don't think their culture is to go attack people with machete. No, and I, I just don't I'm talking like, about the violence. I'm yeah. just talking about in general, you know what I mean? Because when, when we talk about alcohol, it's like it's, it's somewhat new and we, we, we can't really appreciate that because alcohol has been on Guam for a long time. Right, yeah. So it's like, how do we address, just like, you know, the meth problem in Guam. I mean, to some of these guys, alcohol is like PCP. That's what I mean. I mean, you know, and again, it's take not, it to a whole other level. It's, it's not the community, it's the individuals in this community that have issues. The individuals in the small community, in the Filipino community, Chukis, Yapis, whatever. It's the individuals, it's not the race. And that's why I kind of want to go back to that point that uh, the Consul Teresa Philippines said that, hey, not all, and... Microne I hate the word Micronesians because we're all Micronesians, yeah, we're Micronesians right? Yeah, too. so she says not all FSM uh, migrants or people of FSM of descent commit crimes. Yes, we're not talking about yeah. those. We're talking about the ones that do. Yeah, so. mm -hmm. yeah let's keep the conversation focused on right. that. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and on that note, I, I want to thank you, Narissa, for coming by. Always a good insight to hear your opinion. Okay, thank you. And I want to I follow up on this uh, Klitschke abortion thing, and then we'll bring mm -hmm. you back on because I know you got okay. strong feelings about sure. that. Sure. Uh, Dr. Bavakwa, you know, it was good. I, I felt like we kind of did a little decolonization 101, <laughs> right? So that was cool. Uh, Julie's always a pleasure. Always to, the elephant in the room. Right? <laughs> hey, you need a counterpoint, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, my name is Chris. This has been the uh, After Party. Remember, last Monday of every uh, month and second Monday of every month. Uh, until then, we'll see you again. Hasta adios.